0: All Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I'm very excited with the guest that we have today. I mean, his his background is so extensive. I mean, I mean when you hear it, you're not going to believe it. I mean, I couldn't believe it myself. I was like losing count on how many companies he's built, scaled, and also exited. But we're going to be learning quite a bit. I'm sure that you're all going to be very much inspired with his journey. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today. Ben Lamb, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I, hopefully, I can live up to the uh, the intro you just
0: <laughs> threw at me. So, so born in Texas, it sounds like you spent quite a bit of time there. So, give us a little bit of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: Uh, you know, I, I love. You know, Texas is a great state uh, to one grow up in. It's a great state to raise a family in. It's a great state to travel from. You know, with, luckily with DFW, you can travel anywhere in the world. Um, you know, it's also a great business friendly state. You know, and and I feel like. In the last few years, especially since COVID, people are starting to recognize uh, how great of a state it is in in terms of, you know, how many people that we are getting moving from both coasts to Texas. I feel like Texas is finally kind of getting its moment to shine uh, in, in terms of how much it has to offer.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, Austin has been, without a doubt, the, the biggest winner of the pandemic by a mile. So, why- not,
1: And I was actually born in Austin, which is, I think that makes me a, a weird unicorn in itself, right? Because most people I meet in Austin uh, weren't born in Austin. And so I'm, I'm from kind of the old school kind of hippie Austin that I, I guess used to exist.
0: Now, out of all things, why finance and accounting? What a, what a weird blend, especially for someone that has dedicated his life to technology. Yeah, I, I,
1: that was uh, uh, not really optional. Uh, so, uh, you know, my my family made a uh, deal with me that if I maintained a certain GPA and uh, went to school that they approved of and also gave me, uh, you know, also was in a major that they felt that, you know, I could get a job potentially in that they would help pay for school. And so um, I felt like it was a pretty, um, you know, fair trade. So, and it was great because, you know, I, you know, while I I didn't go into finance and accounting, it really did help me uh, start to understand, you know, as when the business world start to understand term sheets, uh, you know, balance sheets, income statements, start to understand, you know, how to think about the financial aspects of of a business specifically in technology.
0: So then I want to ask you now, like this entrepreneurial drive, you know, where, where does it come from? I mean, do you have anyone in the family or, or, or where does it come from?
1: Yeah, I, you know, most of my family was pretty, you know, my mom was a Spanish teacher, uh, you know, my and my single parent kind of growing up, and then my uh, role models, like my uncle and my grandfather, when I, they worked, you know, traditional jobs, my uncle was in private equity, and my, uh, and, my and my grandfather uh, was in uh, the automotive industry. And so I, I feel like, you know, and I've said this before, I feel like it's a wiring thing. I, I don't know if it's something I would wish On everyone, the entrepreneur lifestyle with the ups and downs and craziness that comes with it, but I I think that there's kind of this. I think I've said before that there's a combination of like dysfunctional traits that probably exist in your genes that make you want to be an entrepreneur. Um, And so I I was just, you know, I I don't, I don't think that I was uh, highly um, employable. Um, (laughs) And so the choices I think were to go build companies or, uh, you know. To you know, sleep on my parents' couch.
0: Because in total, how many companies have you started today?
1: Uh, I, I've I've started and been the CEO of six, um, uh, but I've, I've helped start you know another kind of four or five in addition to that. Over so
0: years. so then take us take us you know through how everything started. So you were in school, and then you know like pretty much there. That's where the idea of simply interactive you know comes in, to mind. So what was the process like? I
1: got to give credit where credits due. I, I you know, had a wonderful pro- professor, uh, Dr. James Mooshinsky, who was, um, you know, and I've always kind of gravitated towards uh, academia and, and the incredible knowledge and, and ideas that come out of academia. And, um, you know, I, I he, uh, uh, Dr. Mo, as he'd go by, was one of the world's leading performance improvement technologists and one of the world's leading instructional designers. And he actually built a, a lot of the core fundamental learning models that all these Corporate training groups would use to understand, you know, cognitive uh, learning models uh, to understand how to relate content to action and and, and do just in uh, just in time job training and really help, uh, you know, workforces, you know, train their 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 staffs. And so um, I got, you know, very very lucky that I got to study underneath him. Uh, I was, you know, probably not as passionate about e-learning and and the idea of performance improvement technologies, but I did love the application of Leveraging the latest technologies like learning management systems and and other tools to help, you know, create distributed systems for for learning way before, like, you know, Zoom and pandemics made it cool. So um, I was very, very fortunate to have just an incredible, uh, you know, advisor and professor that, you know, uh, he started, he had a consulting business. I started working with him, Uh, you know, fast forward a few years. I started a company and actually made him my chief uh, learning officer, and uh, and then we grew that and had customers like Black and Decker and and Whirlpool and and Ultra and, and a lot of these you know massive corporations, and it actually grew to be one of the uh, the fourth largest uh, e learning company in the U.S., which is pretty exciting.
0: And first company, first exit. How how was going through that exit like?
1: Uh, you know, you you don't le- you know. Even though I went to school for business, you don't learn everything in in business school. They don't teach you a lot of things about like super majorities and and board dynamics and whatnot. A lot of that's just trial by fire. So, um, you know, I learned some painful lessons, you know, in in, in that company, uh, which then I you know hopefully didn't repeat as 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 I I went on in my journey. Um, but it was it was definitely really interesting, and you know, uh, there were a lot of you know great opportunities that came from you know, selling that business. But then there was other, you know, interesting kind of social dynamics that started to change and, and whatnot. So, you know, the entrepreneurial journey, you know, has its, you know, uh, it's it's always, you know, feast or famine. So you always, you know, kind of go through that. And you have to understand, you know, the impact it has on your life, as well as the lives of others around you. So uh, it was a very early learning experience for me to start to understand how the kind of career choice, that I made really wasn't a job, but was a lifestyle that
0: I had chosen. And when you say a lifestyle, what does that look like? Because, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are listening that maybe they're still in the corporate world. They're reading TechCrunch and, you know, the Entrepreneur Magazine and, and getting all excited, seeing all those millions floating everywhere. Is, is it really like that?
1: Um, well, I mean, maybe for some people. It, it, it has not been like that for me. I, you know, I, I think it's a constant, you know, uphill paddle both ways, in the snow and fire and in, in a meteor shower. So it's, um you know, the entrepreneurial journey, you know, I don't think there's anything like it, right? It's, it's incredibly exciting. For me, it's been the most rewarding thing that I think I, I could have done uh, to date. But at the same time, you know, it comes with its own, um, you know, challenges, right? Like you're going to sacrifice relationships, you're going to sacrifice you know, uh, your health in times, you're going to sacrifice sleep. Uh, you're going to have additional pressures that you may not have in a typical nine to five. Right. And so, um, it's, it's a trade-off, right. And so, uh, you know, you have to decide for yourself, whether you think that, you know, uh, juice is worth the squeeze. Um, but at the same time, you know, like for me, I, I don't think from a, uh, you know, from my personality style, I don't think that there's anything else that, you know, would probably really fulfill me. And so the ability to really, you know, create something and start with a blank page is just really interesting to me. Um, Sometimes, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure it's a similar feeling to a writer uh, where they love where some of them probably love the blank page and love to, you know, craft this story and narrative. You know, that's the same thing we do with, with, with business. But, uh, you know, I I don't know if it's, you know, I, I definitely don't think it's for, uh, the faint of heart. <laughs> and you know, there there's a lot of of sacrifices that you have to make as well as your friends and family also have to make. So it it is one of those careers that I think really affects a lot of people kind of in your social circle.
0: Absolutely. Now for you, as they say, you know, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So, you know, literally after this uh, this exit, you went out and you started your next company, Chaotic Moon. So what were you guys doing at Chaotic Moon? And then also how did that? Uh, you know, again, another exit. You know what's what's happening here?
1: No, we thought we thought that with Chaotic Moon that there was a huge. You know, Apple had released the iPhone. People were starting to develop apps. We we saw a couple of kind of app developers exit, uh, uh, start. You know, existing. We really thought there was an opportunity to do to to you know take kind of a vertically integrated approach and build a systematic uh, uh, design uh, to you know not just uh, you know. Uh, Kind of, I would say the systematic design and ubiquitous computing kind of viewpoint to mobile. I think a lot of people at the time was like they are very focused on iOS, or and and others were focused on Android, and we had this viewpoint saying that you know these are just inputs and outputs, right? Uh, you know, uh, leveraging different backend systems, and so we built a core framework, and then we started working on iOS. We worked on you know that translated into tablets. That still translated into uh, um, um, you know not just into Android, but also into Car displays and into uh, you know interactive displays in stores and and into television and so what was interesting is we, we kind of looked at mobile as kind of the gateway drug to uh, a brand being able to to um, distribute their content and 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 reach their audience everywhere that the, the audience was going to be wanted to be and so we were really excited and we we felt there was a huge opportunity to kind of go uh, build kind of this organized chaos around the. Uh, all, I don't know if you remember the time where there was like HTC's and Samsungs and iPhones. There was there was like all of the mobile wars, and and every brand wanted to be kind of on everything. You know, Windows was coming out with Windows Phone Seven, so we really saw it as an opportunity to build a company in a in a core fabric that we could go build great experiences, but also make it ubiquitous and be on all platforms for you know all brands. Um, and and we were very you know very lucky. We we built a team of incredibly smart you know women and men. Through the you know worked on awesome projects everything from like you know the daily to you know Pizza Hut to Starbucks to uh, to Disney uh, movies anywhere to Marvel so we got to work on just really cool projects and 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 watch these brands uh, uh, tra- uh, transition into truly digital businesses and and we got to be kind of the help shepherds of those digital products. Uh, as well as kind of building out the core infrastructure, and you know, we had a lot of folks that got really excited about what we were working on, including Accenture, um, and you know, they they wanted our team and technologies uh, as well as some of the capabilities.
0: Did you did you see now that it was your second company a shift on how people would relate to you? You know, perhaps now that you were a second time founder, maybe like uh, investors, employees.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say it has more now had probably a a, a bigger effect socially and, and personally. You know. Um, you know, I, I'm one of those types of employees uh, that, you know, truly likes to be, you know, kind of, you know, meeting with the engineers, meeting with the product leads. You know, at, at Colossal, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with our species leads and with our cellular engineering teams. And so I try to get pretty hands on because I, I just find it intellectually interesting. And I like to learn uh, uh, these different um, uh, industries. Um, but, yeah, it definitely has an, an effect, right? People start to have different levels of expectations of you. People have different kind of viewpoints on, you know, what you should be doing, you know, from a career perspective. Lots of people love to give their feedback on that journey. Um, but, but you know, fundamentally, I was always just interested in kind of learning the next thing.
0: And uh, and in this case, I mean, you guys sold the company to Accenture. What can you tell us about timing and acquisition?
1: Yeah, you, well, I don't think, you, you know, I don't think there necessarily is a magic. You know, I've, I've been asked the question before. I don't think there's a magic uh uh you know time period and I don't think you can really orchestrate it. You know, I, I try to just focus on building, you know, interesting and valuable companies. And if people are interested in them, they'll probably call you. Uh in the case of, you know, Chaotic Moon, we had a lot of people, suitors calling us. Um, but I, I think that the the choice to sell really needs to be one that's, you know, isn't really up to me. It's really up to the employees. It's really up to the investors and shareholders, I look at myself as, you know, um, a supporting character uh, in the story, right? Like, my job is to hire much smarter people than me, empower them, uh, give them the resources and tools they need and help set that vision. But then fundamentally, you know, uh, my job is to help you know, and listen to our board and shareholders and ensure that, you know, I'm being good stewards of, 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 of kind of like where they want the company to go. And so I try to take a lot of that, that feedback and accounting, and that's driven kind of a lot of the sales is that, you know, when we've had really interesting market opportunities that, that have come to several of my companies, you know, I always, you know, present it to the board and investors, and sometimes it's big enough that people are excited about it. Um, you know, uh, I'm excited about Colossal because I feel like I'm finally getting to build a company at the scale that I've really wanted to for a while, and I've got incredible investors like Thomas Dahl who support that vision, which is uh, you know made it much easier uh, to to you know build a larger infrastructure than I have previously.
0: Now, and we're we're, we're going to talk about colossal in just uh, in just a little bit. Now, let me ask you this: you know, with uh, with 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 this last company with Keoric uh, Moon. Basically you guys did a spin-off. Uh, and that was basically Team Chaos, which you also ended up selling to uh Singa. So again, you know, another exit. So on a roll here.
1: Yeah, we, we were I was very fortunate. You know, one of my long term co founders, Andrew Busey, uh, who's one of my co founders at 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 Chaotic Moon, uh, and my co founder at Team Chaos and he's one of the colossal co founders. Um, you know, he and I worked together a ton and and had like a we have a really great symbiotic relationship in terms of what we bring both bring to the table. But yeah, I, I'd say the spin out was, was interesting, because uh, it really taught me that, you know, there's opportunities to monetize additional technologies. Um, you know, as long as it's not distracting to the core business, it creates, you know, option value for um, our shareholders, our employees, our investors and whatnot. And so what was interesting about Team Chaos is, you know, we had all of the core infrastructure uh, to build mobile games, and we worked very closely, you know, we're building all the top apps for for that were, you know, being showcased by, you know, by, by Apple and by, by uh, Google. So we had all the relationships with, you know, the core product people at those, at those companies. We had tons of relationships with the, uh, you know, store uh, reviewers. And so building, building great games, you know, we really just need to add in more gaming talent, right? Because we we had the rest of the infrastructure. And so, you know, if there are, you know, one of the things I learned from the the team chaos spin out in, in ultimate acquisition was, you know, there are opportunities with businesses to create option value for your, you know, employees uh, and for your shareholders and investors uh, that you know they get additional upside from you know leveraging some of these technologies or kind of uh, opportunities that present themselves. And you know, we're doing that obviously with Colossal. We've spun out some companies out of out of Hypergiant, and so that's now been kind of a consistent theme where if we can find something and the spin-out process isn't distracting. You know, um, and it's accretive to everybody. You know, it's something that we you know, we, we kind of now have a, a framework of how to do it and how to do it successfully.
0: So the the next two companies right before Colossal, you know, is basically Conversable and then also Hypergiant. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Conversable acquired by LifePerson, a public company. That was a...
1: And that was was really... And Converse was really the brainchild of Andrew. I've got to give Andrew credit. Um, You know, he he really felt that we could build a conversational intelligence uh, platform that really understood sentiment analysis, could help build scripted and unscripted, you know, um, uh, conversation threads with consumers so that kind of with the rise of voice-based messaging with chat and whatnot... I think it'd be pretty interesting. Uh, You know, fast forward, you know, we probably should have done more with it if you look at like the success of ChatGPT, right, Um, in today. Um, But, you know, we created it. We were pretty excited about the, the, you know, fundamental layer uh, conversational, you know, OS that we built. Um, And we had a lot of people that were pretty excited about it. And at the same time, we were getting a lot of inbound interest in supporting us to, to try to do something leveraging AI in the defense critical infrastructure space. And we thought that was an interesting challenge. So we ended up transacting uh, conversable and really then going and focusing on on building Hypergiant uh, just because we, we saw a lot of the use cases around critical infrastructure space and defense as being very, very similar. And then adding in a, a layer of automation AI uh, to some of those common operating pictures just didn't exist. And we thought there was a really unique opportunity to do something that also had a not just a monetary impact, uh, but could have a you know impact uh, to defense uh, or infrastructure stability
0: hey guys, so pardon the interruption here, so I gotta tell you that you know for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. you know there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process, and it's very hard and already doing your business alone. when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of um, cycle. So, Again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at Alejandro at PanteraAdvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now with Hypergiant, you know, you did something, you know, pretty interesting. And that was to find a CEO to replace you. So at what point do you realize it's time? You know, it's time.
1: Well, you know, I I totally blame, you know, I think it's a combination of the pandemic. I think it was a combination of, you know, I actually got pretty sick at the beginning of the pandemic, which I've talked about before. Uh, you do a lot of introspection in that time. You know, I was also in my house for 11 months. Uh, you do a lot of introspection when you're not, when you're also locked up in, you know, for 11 months. Um, and, you know, uh, we we had built a company that had scaled well, that was getting great feedback from, you know, U.S. Air Force, U.S. Space Force, Strategic Operations Command, um, uh, uh, NORAD Northcom. And we had just great feedback that we were getting in, in different partnerships that we were forging in the U.S. federal government as well as with some large enterprises. And what was interesting was, you know, I, I met George. I reached out to George Church who's arguably one of the top 10, if not top one smartest people on the planet, at least my perspective, uh, reached out to George, um, who's the father of synthetic biology in today's modern day genomics, and started asking him questions. And because I'm curious, I also, you know, in addition to the core uh, reason why I reached out to him, we started talking about other things. And I asked him, what else are you working on? And George went through a kind of litany of really cool projects his lab was working on. And then he ended the call with he was working on, you know, bringing back mammoths to combat climate change. And he had all the technologies to create a de-extinction company. And, you know, as an entrepreneur who said a thousand times like, oh, well, we're going to build this company, it's going to change the world, it's going to have this impact. You, you you, chase this idea of not just creating value, but, you know, having impact. And, and at least for me, you know, thinking about legacy and and, and trying to make the world be- a little bit better than when you showed up to it. Right. And, and um, so I felt like the biggest hypocrite, If I've been, you know, that I've been presented this opportunity and it's like, so what do you do? You, you know, you can't say, oh, well, I'm just working on this other software company. So I, I shouldn't go do this. So I felt this tremendous, like initial guilt of, I I don't have a choice. Like I've, I've been given this opportunity. If I'm going to be honest with, you know, myself and, and, and and say, I really want to go change the world and have a, a, a more, um, Uh, meaningful impact and someone like George Church gives you that opportunity and lets you be a steward of their vision, um, you know, you kind of have to take it. And so uh, Mike Betzer, who's an incredible uh, operator and sold numerous businesses uh, in the enterprise software space, uh, one to Vista, one to uh, uh, to Siebel Systems and Tom Siebel and others, other incredible uh, leaders that he worked with, I thought that he was the right person to take the reins of Hypergiant you know, continue to grow it. Let me kind of just be a board member and shareholder, and let me go focus on this, uh, the wild world of of de extinction, which is not just creating a company, but helping define a category.
0: Now, one thing now before we dive into colossal is that obviously the tech component has been a um, uh, you know uh, a constant you know in all these companies that um, that you've built but they've been in in so many different categories in so many different industries how do you think that perhaps knowledge transfer being able to have you know that uh, know-how or knowledge from different industries and being able to apply them all into a different one has given you an edge
1: so so i think one of my uh, like my two superpowers i think are i, I learn things moderately quickly and then um I, I think i'm really good at hiring people that are much smarter than me and you you hear that you read that in entrepreneur I don't think I always did. I think in my earlier parts of career I didn't, um, but but I think that you know as I've grown in in my career, I you know if you want to do bigger and harder things, you've got to find subject matter experts and and specialists that are just way smarter than than yourself. And so I really believe in like trying to constantly learn and then follow that curiosity and that passion, kind of that journey of of self discovery. But then also I'm also you know a really big believer of, of surrounding yourself with experts and people that are much farther than you, and then actually listening to them. Because it's one thing to do that, but then there's nothing to actually listen to them and pay attention to them. And so I've been fortunate that, you know, I didn't have to really know anything about satellite software and infrastructure or defense. I didn't have to really know anything about gaming. I didn't really have to know anything about biotech. Um, I could learn those things as long as I surrounded myself with people that, you know, were industry experts in, in those fields.
0: So then let's talk about Colossal. You know, what are you guys doing at Colossal? Uh, and um, and why was this problem meaningful enough for you to 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 dive right in?
1: Well, it was kind of the perfect combination of value creation, impact, and inspiration, right? I feel like there's an opportunity to build a company that that you know hopefully could inspire geneticists people to you know little girls and boys to be geneticists or you know to, to focus on conservation. But we you we know we're I think people have started to really understand that we have a uh, climate. Catastrophe looming, and I think people understand that. People think, for the most part, of it accepted the the impacts of man made uh, uh, climate change. Where where people I think are starting to pay attention is is to what are the ripple effects of that, and, and loss of biodiversity is one of them. We we could lose up to fifty percent of all biodiversity between now and twenty fifty if we don't radically do something. And current technologies around conservation just don't work at the same speed, and the current techniques don't work. They're very old school. They don't work at the same scale as humanity is changing environments and eradicating species. So George and I talked about an opportunity to focus on bringing back a couple of keystone species to to reintroduce them back into their uh, historical um, uh, um, ecosystem, uh, a process called rewilding to help replenish those ecosystems and, and then also leverage the excitement around that and the technologies around that to have a bigger halo effect to conservation and develop new tools and technologies that only that not only could be leveraged in this de extinction toolkit but could be applied to conservation and you know when, when you get you know someone like George Church that's willing to be your partner on such a you know world-changing idea um, it's hard not to want to pursue it
0: and in this case too I mean you guys have raised uh, quite a bit of money how much money have you guys raised
1: so we re- we've raised 225 million dollars today
0: and in no time, because, I mean, you guys got started like in about 2021, and literally you've raised your seed in 2021, the Series A in 2022, and then, you know, pretty much, you know, the rest between then and, and now in 2023. And I believe that it has been reported at a $1 billion plus valuation, which is absolutely incredible in like no time. I mean, what do you think has really, what, what do you think has been the key, the key ingredients to, to fuel, you know, that, that growth?
1: I, I think that the opportunity, I think we've been very lucky to have like, you know, best in class, long term strategic investors like Thomas Toll and Jim Breyer and these kind of legendary technology investors that can look at a very long horizon. They can also understand, you know, one of the many conversations I have with Thomas very early on is that, you know, we're, we're when you when you go after the extinction, you've got to build a lot of infrastructure to, you know, and you got to build things like a system like, just like software, just like, you know, satellite, or, or, or like satellites, you have to build an entire kind of uh, system approach to the extinction, you're not, you're not solving one little point system. And so in that, there's a lot of innovations that come from that in software, wetware and hardware. And so, you know, spending a lot of time, you know, with, with, with our key investors like Thomas and others really helped us kind of shape that narrative and ensure that, that, you know, on the path to the extinction, we're building not just technologies that can bring back distinct species and help conservation, but it can also have a meaningful impact to human healthcare. right? And, and, and some of that is manifesting in the form of software, some of that's manifesting in next generation uh, editing tools in the lab, and some of that's even, you know, hopefully long-term will manifest itself in, in hardware devices that can help even, you know, uh, uh, everything ranging from livestock to human gestation. And so, um, you know, we're very, very excited about kind of like how these technologies can come together. But we're also excited about, you know, how these technologies can independently be helpful for human health care. And so, um, you know, I think the, you know, I think that the thesis of of looking at the, the extinction, like the moon landing, you know, in our success, we you know truly changed the world and create kind of this history defining moment. But I think there's a lot of opportunities to build really meaningful technology, which touches uh, you know, everything from conservation to, to human long, longevity and, and human health. And so we've just been very fortunate that incredible investors have supported that vision. And, and, and I think that part of the function is coming out of COVID and coming out of, of some of the things that we've gone through over the last, you know, uh, five years where I think people are longing for, you know, bigger opportunities to, to, to help humanity take a, a bigger step forward.
0: So as you're talking about vision here, imagine you go to sleep tonight, Ben, and you wake up in a world where the vision of colossal is fully realized. What does that world look like?
1: Um, well, hopefully better than before the vision was realized. Right? <laughs> we get the Jurassic Park questions quite a bit, um, uh, but no, you know, you know, we I, I see a world where you know you where you know there's a completely vibrant uh, Arctic ecosystem out there. Where you have you know mammoths back you know in the Arctic, where you have thylacines and other keystone species and keystone predators back in their environments, like in like in uh, Tasmania, where where you have you know people you know like the Mauritian government and the Mauritian people who are so ecstatic to see uh, an, such an iconic species like the dodo that they're known for. It's on their flag, and it's on their money, and it's it's a part of their heritage and culture. But no one living in Mauritius has seen a dodo, right? And so that's so iconic to them and so i think the ability to return these species back and and fix these degraded ecosystems as well as you know i I think while that is success um i think another part of success is you know seeing incredible conservation partners that then take the tools and you know they save the northern white rhino or or they save you know blue whales or or they they you know create you know uh, uh, genetic uh, um, solutions to some of the diseases that that plague uh, existing species like chytrid and, and amphibians or EHV and elephants. And so I, a world where we've achieved our de-extinction goals and successfully rewilded them and other people have applied those technologies to conservation and made a meaningful difference and saved the species because of the work we've done here, I think that's success. And um, I think we'll get there. We, we definitely have the team to do it. Uh, we've got the backers to do it. So it's really just on us to execute.
0: And you're talking about team. I mean, the team, you guys have grown it by over 92% in the last 12 months. I mean, how do you go about attracting, you know, a diverse team, you know, that is also committed and, and rowing in the same direction at the same speed as everyone else?
1: Yeah, I mean, you 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 have to try, you know, like I said earlier, my, I look at my my you know role as a supporting function, right? And so you've got to trust your team. You've got to hire the best people. You've got to. Empower them to hire the best people. We've got to really listen to them, um, and so we've built this world renowned. You know, we look at colossal as this like, you know, not just the world renowned advisors that we have and and team members, but it is it is this kind of global coalition of people that are working together. Right? We've got you know folk, collaborators in in Australia. We've got collaborators in Germany. We've got collaborators in 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 the UK. So we really try to work you know with this kind of global mindset because you know, you know loss of biodiversity and climate change doesn't have borders, you know, they doesn't recognize borders, um, you know, like the way that we as humans do. And so we've really, I think, done a great job of attracting incredible talent, both externally with, you know, best, some of the best uh, research labs in the entire world. Uh, and then we've, we've leveraged those labs as, as conduits to, to bring in incredible women and men into Colossal uh, that are the full-time people. And so we have 107 people full-time at Colossal, but then we have about 30 that we fund in academic labs and we have over 50 advisors, right? And so you really are starting to get the benefits of kind of that network effect. And they're all, you know, multidisciplinary. So we've got people like Doris Taylor who are decellularizing hearts and, and you know, rebuilding synthetic hearts. You have people like George Church who are, you know, uh, you know inventing, you know, genetic engineering in, in the field of read, write uh, genetic engineering as a whole, you've got people like Beth Shapiro who are like the leading ancient DNA experts, you know, in the world. And so when you start to put these people together, uh, that kind of their skill sets kind of comes together to, you know, uh, uh, form kind of the fabric that you need to to look at a really hard system like species preservation or the extinction.
0: I mean, it's pretty unbelievable. The um, the people that you have been, you know, able to, to, to really attract here, whether it's on the team, whether it's on the investment side, whether it's on the advisors, I mean, 50 advisors, I mean, that's a lot of advisors too, you know, to guide, you know, this in the right direction. How do you go about, you know, what what really stands out for me is one word, and that is enrollment. How do you get them enrolled in in that future that you're living into so that they just want to jump right in?
1: Well, you know, I will say that, you know, we're somewhat cheating, right? Because like, Extinction just is cool. Like, I mean, regardless of the potential positive impacts for the world and for whether it's human healthcare or or conservation, it's also just cool. Like, I mean, that we we are kind of cheating, right? Because it's like it's impactful, it's intellectually interesting, but you know, it's also just really cool. Like any like for the most part, people think it's cool and interesting. Um, and so I think that we've we we one of the things I think that's been a secret to our success is we've really embraced criticism. So while I think it's cool and while Apparently a lot of people think it's cool. Uh it, it is big, it is bold. Sometimes big and bold ideas and transformation is scary, right? So you can break that sometimes brings out all types of critics. We've actually really leaned into our critics. And so some of our early critics uh of the company are now our most trusted advisors who we work with on a daily basis. Uh and we wouldn't actually be where we are today without some of those critics joining our mission. And I think that we've taken um, you know, a, a very transparent and hopefully approachable perspective, you know, to this problem where we're not going to do everything right. We're going to do stuff that makes people really probably upset. We're going to do stuff that we think makes people really, really happy. We think most importantly, we're going to do things that makes people, uh, that, that makes the world a better place and has a big impact. But I think that we, we've tried to not only be transparent, but we've tried to be very receptive to that feedback. We we don't think that we have all the answers. And I think that that attitude uh, and and kind of that approachability has allowed us to to collaborate with some of our critics. And then I think that's helped expand, you know, kind of the and and widen the aperture of of people that we can collaborate with. And that doesn't mean that everyone loves what we're doing. Uh, And that doesn't mean we won't have some critics that we, you know, uh, uh, that don't change their minds. But I, I think we've taken this attitude of it's our job with with how, you know, big and bold of the things that we're doing. It's our job to educate and be transparent. It's not our job to persuade. And I think that that that, that attitude has really resonated with, um, you know, collaborators across uh, the scientific community, the business community, and the conservation community.
0: So, so Ben, in your case, you've been at it, you know, as an entrepreneur now for a little bit over 20 years. I mean, you've uh, obviously built yeah, all these... 100. I know, I know. I mean, in dog years, it's absolutely crazy, no? The, 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 the amount of years that, you know, go into building companies, no? From the ground up. Now, in your case, I mean, you've been at it for a while. Uh, and uh, let's say I was to give you the opportunity of going into a time machine. And I bring you back in time, you know, perhaps to that moment that you were still, you know, in Baylor University, you know, doing your finance and accounting, you know, degrees. Let's say, you were able to go there into the cafeteria and you're able to sit your younger self and you're able to give that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: Uh, the, the biggest piece of advice is that I, I realized along my journey that I've, I've been very passionate about the journey. I've been very passionate about entrepreneurship, but I, I don't know if I've always been passionate about every single project. So like, like, conversable is a great example, just to be, not to pick on a company, but like conversable was a great company. It could have been a much larger, it did well economically, but it would have been a much larger company. Andrew had a great vision for it. We, we could have built something, but like, I, I'm a, you know, I didn't want to communicate even with chat, right? Like that's not my preferred method of communication. My preferred method of communications voice. And so, so, you know, I, I feel like I wish I, if I went back in time or could go back in time, I would say, look, follow your heart, be passionate about these things. But really try to align your passion with building the business with the things you're actually passionate for. And so, you know, I really want to mostly focus my time only on building companies that have an impact to the climate and, and, and to, you know, national security and, and the areas that I, I found a, a, a bigger interest in. And so, um, you know, I think that I had to build a couple of companies along the way that I was really excited about the building and the team and, and us winning those categories. Uh, as we did, but um, but I don't know if I was as passionate as I am with some of the later companies where I've really not married that passion for building with the actual work that we were doing. And and, and I, I think that some of the earlier companies would have been much bigger um, or had different, you know, if we had, you know, if, if I had married those things better. So that that's the big advice I give myself.
0: I love it. Now, for the people that are listening, Ben, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: Uh, I'm on social media, so I'm just Federal Lamb on uh, Twitter. So I've spent a decent amount of time, probably too much time on Twitter, but, um, but I'm on Twitter and uh, Instagram and kind of all the major social channels.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, Ben, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value,